The American uh, Jewish community is the, for over a century, the largest Jewish community in the world. And the question is, why? How did it come to be that way? And what made it that uh, made it so attractive for Jews to come there? How did they end up there? And in honor of Independence Day, July 4th, we'll talk a little bit about the great immigration of Jews to the United States. This is Yehudi Geber with another um, Jewish History Soundbites podcast. The the Jewish Jews always lived in America, in the United States, even before it was the United States. There was, and interestingly enough, the first Jews came there seeking refuge, uh, religious persecution. It was Sephardi Jews who had been living in South America thinking that they can get away from the Inquisition there. They were unable to, so they migrated north. Um, so that kind of made it symbolic that the American Jewish community would be composed of Jews who were seeking refuge. Um, it remained a small Jewish community at the time, um, and the American Jewish community was pretty much small and quite uh, insignificant until the 19th century. The 19th century, this starts what was thought then to be a large immigration of German Jews, because within um, 30-some-odd years, about 150,000 German Jews arrived in America, and that really changed the American Jewish landscape. The American uh, German Jews were either on their way to assimilation or reform. Um, they started off as peddlers and worked their way up pretty quickly into finance. Goldman Sachs, for instance, is started was started by two German Jews who moved to America at that time. And um, and that that becomes the nucleus of the new uh, American Jewish community. However, that that's all the small stuff. The real story of the American Jewish community starts in 1881 with the Great Immigration. The Great well, it starts off as a Great Emigration. The massive population shift of Jews leaving Eastern Europe to essentially all over the world, just predominantly it's to the United States. So between the years of 1881 and 1925, well over 3 million Jews leave Eastern Europe, mainly from the Russian Empire, but also from Galicia, from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And they, they, come, they come to all over the world. Their destinations can be really everywhere. Just the main focus is the United States, which we'll get to in a second, why the the U.S. is chosen as the primary destination of all the uh, emigrants. And for that, we have to understand the context. Why are Jews leaving? Why are they moving out? Why are they, why are they leaving the Russian Empire? So the Jews in the Russian Empire um, did not have an easy life. They were restricted to live in the Pale of Settlement. It's really a story in itself. And things do get, they have ups and downs. Things take a major turn for the worse um, in 1881 with the assassination of Tsar Alexander II. And the, the Jews are held partially to blame. There's a lot of mobs. The pogroms break out mainly in the 
southern parts of the empire in the Ukraine and the Kiev area and further east. Um, and um, in fact, in Hebrew, it's even called Sufot HaNegev, the storms of the south, the pogroms in Russia of 1881. There had been a lot of economic problems for Jews in the Russian Empire. Um, they were definitely looking for more economic solutions. There was extremely high unemployment in some areas, as high as 40% unemployment for Jews in the Russian Empire. And these pro- programs were pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back. And what started off as a trickle all of a sudden becomes a mass uh, emigration. Um, there had been Russian Jews who had moved to America and had really moved out of Russia even before 1881. Um, in the decade preceding that, there were tens of thousands of Jews who moved to America from Russia. But what became, what was a small trickle now, all of a sudden the floodgates opened. And a few things came together to create that. Uh, number one, uh, the pogroms, like we mentioned, the fact that Tsar Alexander's assassination was partially blamed on the Jews. In addition to that, the the um, the, uh, um, the immediately following these initial pogroms, the May laws were promulgated. The Tsarist Russian government passes a series of laws that are supposed to be temporary and end up being much more permanent than temporary, um, called the May laws. That's what the nickname was. And these these are even more restrictions on Jewish movement, on where they're allowed to live, on econ, econ, they, where they could get jobs and what type of jobs they could get. And it, it made life uh, pretty much impossible um, to, to, for, the, for the Jews of the Russian Empire. And the, the best solution that they were able to come, come up with is to move, to leave. Now, in the 19th century, the story of the Jewish people is finding solutions to their problems. And there are many solutions given. In the religious side, um, there was a revival of Hasidus, which had already been around for quite a while. The yeshiva movement gained strength, the Musser movement. On the secular side, there's the Haskalah, and then later the revolutionary movements, the rise of Zionism. But really, the best and the solution that the majority of Jews took was not any of that. The majority solution was emigration. The, simply, the way to solve all the Jewish problems in Russia was to leave, to leave Russia and go to the New World. And they start to move to America. Now, why America? For several reasons. Number one, America had pretty much an unrestricted immigration policy. There were some restrictions in place. It was mainly targeting China and uh, Asia. There were, it was almost unrestricted as far as Europe was concerned until 1925, which we'll get to when the Johnson Act is passed. And therefore, it seemed like the most obvious place for the Jews to go to. And um, so that made it easy. There were other countries that they could have gone to, and some of them did. Um, but another thing was the economic opportunity that it seemed to be, like the famous saying that pretty much all of us grew up with, is that it's the golden of Medina that became the the myth back home in Eastern Europe that, that, that America was. And the economic opportunity with after the Industrial Revolution in America at the end of the 19th century it was in an economic boom, and it seemed to be the most viable place. Specifically, what should be emphasized is the rise of the textile industry. Um, the In order for immigration to be successful and to be in mass, 
um, has to be that there's some sort of economic reason pushing people to move places. Otherwise, unless there's some sort of catastrophe, right? If there's like a beyond any pogroms, it has to be a real serious catastrophe to cause immigration, mass immigration. Um, economic opportunity is always the most obvious solution. And the textile, the rise of the textile industry, many Jews uh, felt like they could break in as they tailors was something that was simple. It was simple work. Um, the Singer sewing machine was something that could be purchased. Getting involved in the textile industry seemed to be the easiest way into a new and rising industry that was extremely high on the rise. It was booming at the time, not only in America, but, but very much so there. And therefore, it seemed like it could join in. Now, these things grow exponentially, meaning once the trend hits um, of going to America, of joining the textile industry, of settling down in New York and, and, and becoming a tailor or working in the sweatshops at the sewing machines, so then everyone writes back home that this is working, you can get jobs here, and it just grows, um, it grows on itself. So once the trend hit, it fed on itself. Now we mentioned that the German Jews had already been there before. So the Eastern European Jews, they start to settle on the legendary Lower East Side of Manhattan. That's the main place, but they do end up in other places, both in New York and other places around the United States. In fact, there's a big encouragement for them. Eventually, they try to encourage them to settle in other places. And New York is getting way overcrowded. The Lower East Side at the time, between the Italian immigrants and the Jewish immigrants, had the largest per capita um, demographic population, you know, most crowded in the entire world at the time, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th. And um, it was impossible to receive new uh, immigrants in the area of the Lower East Side. So there was the Gaveston Plan, which tried to encourage Jews to settle in Texas and to other parts of America. And there were communities of immigrants across the length and breadth of the United States in all areas, of course, in the big urban centers like Chicago and Baltimore and even um, even Boston, uh, other big cities, uh, especially on the East Coast, definitely had larger populations, but there were smaller communities, even as far out places as Fargo, North Dakota, or Omaha, Nebraska, they had immigrant Yiddish-speaking European, Eastern European Jews um, who had set up uh, communities there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The, the, the economic opportunity and the economic problems back home and the pogroms are not the only reason. And and the most uh, and 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 the, we see that from the immigration from Galicia. Galicia was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, not the Russian Tsarist Empire, and the immigration from Galicia and Romania, which was even further south and also not in the Russian Empire, was very high at the time as well. So there are other factors that go into it, um, one of them being the draft. Um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Tsarist Russian Empire, they imposed strict draft laws. Many Jews did not want to join the army, um, even in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, where it wasn't uh, specifically targeting or anti-Semitic, or um, there was plenty of anti-Semitism there also, but that wasn't the main push. And many, very often, simply to avoid the draft, um, Jews would immigrate. And, and uh, more often than not, we find in the writings of, of parents who would send off their son because he was reaching the draft age in some little shtetl in Galicia, and he, they sent him off to America. And then the next son 
becomes of age, they send him off to America. And after three or four kids, they say, hey, we're here alone without our kids. We're going to move with the rest of the family to America as well. And that's what happens. Once the whole family is there, they bring their parents, they encourage their brothers and sisters back home to move, and the, the trend feeds on itself. Now, they come to this new land, and it's not an easy place to live, and their economic opportunity sometimes didn't play itself out as much as they thought it would. But despite the harsh conditions of acclimating to a new culture and society, the freedom and the opportunity, especially when comparing it back to what they experienced under the Tsar, was something that they really, really appreciated. And that was one of the leading causes of the Americanization, was that they saw this as a new world a world where it kind of accepted them for who they were, gave them uh, um, almost limitless freedom, especially relative to what they had been, uh, been used to. And Americanization and the liberal ideals of America all came, became almost a replacement religion. And the goal of many of these immigrants was to Americanize their children so that they should have equal opportunity, that they should grow up in this new world with these new ideas and ideals. And that led to the process of Americanization. They want to send their kids to the American schools. And not only was there no, uh, was there very little of a Jewish infrastructure uh, built by these immigrants, and we'll get to the reasons in a second, but, but um, there was also an ideal of Americanization um, um, because of the gratitude and appreciation they had for what America meant to them. Um, compared to what they uh, to what they had uh, experienced back in Russia in 1903, which is already the beginning of the 20th century, the Kishinev pogrom and it spreads to Odessa and other places. A series of pogroms, uh, rockets across Russia, much more death and devastation than had been up until now, and the immigration reaches unseen, un, un completely out of out of control proportions. I'm talking about in the first decade of the 20th century, it's over 100,000 a year arriving, um, which means a million by the end of the decade, just that decade alone. Um, and we want to understand the effect of the immigration, uh, both on the immigrants and on the communities they leave behind. We're always uh, interested in Eastern Europe, uh, not only in America and other places. What type of effect does it have when so many people leave, right? You're talking about communities where sometimes 30, 40%, sometimes even 50% or more of a town immigrates, push it, leaves, simply disappears um, over a 40-year period. That's got to have a social and societal effect on the uh, host communities. So first of all, we it's, it's important to understand what the assumed profile of an immigrant is. It's it's someone who, if someone is connected to the kahila, to the community establishment, they're less likely to leave. If they're rich and have plenty of financial resources back in Russia, they're less likely to leave. If they're part of the rabbinical or Hasidic or religious elite, they're less likely to leave. So very often, more often than not, of course there are exceptions to the rule and there's a minority of others who are leaving as well. But the profile and the general, if we want to overgeneralize, of the ones who are leaving, who are immigrating, are from the poorer elements of society, the less educated, the less uh, connected to the leadership and establishment, and they're the ones leaving. Now that's going to have an effect on the communities left behind because now um, these communities are are 
higher proportion of of the the elite, the religious and cultural and wealthy elite, and it definitely has an effect on the type of communities that are set up in America because they're less uh, likely to have the capabilities of setting up both a religious and financial and communal infrastructure. Um, so are the rabbis pro-immigration or anti-immigration? So surprisingly, in the early... we have, There's an image that the rabbis are all anti-immigration because what they call the treif of Medina is really... I'm sorry, what, excuse me, I gave it away. What they call the golden of Medina is really the treif of Medina. Well, it's not so simple because the rabbis, as true leaders of their communities, also recognize the suffering and the difficulties of living in the Russian Empire. There's actually a letter of Rabitzikal Khan Inspector, the pretty much undisputed leader of uh, Lithuanian Jewry in the last half of the uh, 19th century, and he dies in 1896, so the immigration is in full swing by the time he's gone, and he is pro-immigration. He said that, that to get away, and uh, America is a solution, and there should be care to to you know, set up the proper infrastructure and care for the immigrants, but um, it's definitely a solution, and we should try to encourage immigration whenever it's at all possible, and we should see that as a solution. And it's very interesting that he took that stance. Um, it's well known that the Chavetz Chaim was anti-immigration, but again, later on, when things get bad, the Jewish leadership, including the religious and rabbinical leadership, they see immigration as a solution more than as a problem. There's a shmuz where Rabbi Ruchim Levavitz in the Mir Yeshiva, he talks out against the Johnson Act, which stopped, essentially almost brought it to a standstill, the immigration to the United States from Eastern Europe. Um, so it's not so, uh, it's not so black and white whether they're anti-immigration, because at the end of the day, if it's a solution to the problems of life in Russia, later on in Poland and other places, then that would be a feasible solution. Um, in 1925, the, the immigration comes to almost a standstill, and that's because Congress passes the Johnson-Reed Act and uh, limits immigration. It's targeting the immigrants from Southern Europe, meaning the Italians, and Eastern Europe, meaning the Jews, and they, they limit immigration to very, very uh, low numbers, to almost insignificant numbers, and it only gets stricter in the subsequent uh, added legislation in the 1920s and 30s. And that's the end of the Great Immigration. So that generation of immigrants, which ultimately comes to 2 million immigrants just to the United States, they end up going, other immigrants go to South America, a bunch of Jews from Lithuania and Latvia end up in South Africa. Others simply stay on the continent. They emigrate to Western Europe, to France, Belgium, even to other parts of Poland. The rise of Ludge is the best illustration of that. In 1870, when Rebel Yechayim Meizel becomes the rabbi in Ludge, there were 10,000 Jews living in Ludge, which is not a small shtetl already. When he dies almost 40 years later, um, in, uh, I'm sorry, 1873, he becomes the rabbi. And almost 40 years later, when he dies, in 1912, there are 180,000 Jews living in Ludge. And that's internal immigration within the Russian Empire, really an urbanization of the Jewish population, which is no less of an immigration. It's a migrating from the shtetl to the big cities. And Ludge is for the exact same reason that I mentioned that people are moving to America to join the sweatshops and with Peter, with, uh, excuse me, with, um, with, uh, with the textile industry, Ludge becomes the center also of the textile industry. And many factories um, are opened and it becomes... Uh, 
to be nicknamed the, the Manchester of Eastern Europe because Manchester was also a center of the textile industry. Now, a lot of these immigrants, despite the fact that they have this goal to be Americanized, they keep a connection to the old country. And the two best known features of that are the Landsmannschaft that they set up. And Landsmannschaft are groups of immigrants who come from the same area in Europe, living in America. They live together in similar neighborhoods in New York. They keep a connection to the old country. They keep a cultural connection, financial connection. Many of them visit their family back home and bring back with them the memories and the pictures to the rest of the Landsmannschaft. And some of those Landsmannschaft actually still exist, incredibly enough. And the other feature is the Joint Distribution Committee. The Joint, which still exists today, is set up by American Jews to finance projects starting from right in the pre-World War I era, and especially in the post-World War I era, set up by American Jews to help their brethren back home, which is places they had recently themselves emigrated from and come to set up a new life in America. So they see themselves as privileged as being living in America in better conditions, and they owe it to their brothers back home to try to support them and send them that support. So there's this very interesting culture in the first immigrant uh, years. There's still a lot of Yiddish being spoken. There's still a lot of newspapers in Yiddish, the Yiddish theater. There's still a lot of connections back to the world of Eastern Europe. And on the other hand, they see America as their new home. It's the new world. They want it to be their country. They have a, a ma- very, very big patriotism to their new country. Um, they, they, they proudly fly the flag. They proudly want their kids to become American. Um, Whether it's at the sacrifice of their Jewish identity or not is an entirely different discussion, perhaps for a future podcast. But in honor of Independence Day, we'll speak about those Jews who found a new life in the United States of America. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. You can subscribe to hear the Jewish History Soundbites podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode. You can also follow... Uh, Jewish History Soundbites on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.